Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, episode 34, Mission Whitetail. We had an incredible show last week with Andre and Adam Hayes. This week, we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to dive right in like we always do, but it's going to be a question and answer. So I'm running solo today, and we got about 15 to 20 questions that have come in over the last few months. Guys, you know, they're <laughs> anywhere from broadheads to personal stuff to ethics, so I'm really just going to dive right in uh, how these questions came in, and we will go one by one and answer them. So let me pull the first one up here. Let's see. The first question is, are you still using Rage Tripans? The answer to that question is yes. I am still shooting the Rage Tripan. However, I know, drum roll. (laughs) I have noticed something with these new no-collar ones that I have not noticed before. I don't know if they've changed the angle of the blades or if they've made them a little bit weaker or what, but this year I've shot a black bear in Canada, an axis deer, and a hog. The black bear I got a a full pass through, but it, it barely got through, and I didn't hit shoulder um so i went through ribs i'm really used to i I think it may have hit a log on the other side and bounced back through but it it had a good entry and exit hole just wasn't crazy about the penetration so i I can't really use that the pig i shot complete blew him up but i got the broadhead out of the dirt on the other side of him and it was bent in the ferrule the the ferrule was bent almost to a 90 degree angle at where it goes into the arrow. Never seen that before with the tripan. Pig went 50 yards. And then Axis Deer shot him in June a couple weeks ago and did not get very good penetration. And I, I, he's a 220-pound animal. They're thick. But, you know, I, I didn't shoot him through scapula. I shot him right in the pocket, got two lungs. He didn't go but 60 yards. Not a great blood trail, which is super unusual. So I guess the... The story is, yes, I'm still shooting tripans. The last three animals I've shot with them, I have not been super impressed. I am headed to Africa next week. I will be in Africa when this show drops, and I'm going to be shooting the tripan the whole time I'm over there. So if I have any issues whatsoever with them over there, there is a chance I will be making a change on broadheads. So stay tuned on the broadheads. That's enough of beating that horse. Let's go on to the next question. All right, what hunts have you done this year, and what do you have planned for this whitetail season? All right, so this year I went to Saskatchewan and did a bear hunt. That was the first hunt of the year in May. Then the first part of June, I shot a hog here in South Carolina, and we got really busy with Osseo. And so really, Osseo has been incredibly busy with the trade show circuit, from, from January 1st all the way to now. We've got Alabama coming up. We've got Michigan coming up. And then we've got Perry, Georgia. We've got three more before our deer season gets going. So I haven't been able to hunt hogs as much as normal at home. And then I went to Texas and did an axis hunt and headed to Africa. My son and I are headed over to Africa to do some plains game. I'm going to be after a sable, an elan, big kudu, and maybe a water buck, impala, warthog. We'll see what what shows up. But we're going to be hunting out of ground blinds over water holes. Excited about that. My son's going to rifle hunt. I'm going to bow hunt. So hopefully we'll get to run some some tripans through some bigger animals. Elon's the biggest antelope in Africa, and I'm going to shoot him with a tripan. They're bigger than Cape Buffalo. Uh, Sable is the third largest antelope in Africa. So uh, hopefully we'll get a crack at one of those. And then kudus right up there, too. You know, all of these animals are elk size or bigger. So it'll be a good test for the old broadhead. All right, moving on. Let's see what we got next. 
What's what new ICO products are coming out with this year? What are the new ICO products that are coming out this year? So it is a little after. I think it's the seventh or eighth today of July when we're filming this, and by the end of July, we're going to be having a pre-sale. So please pay attention or, or be on the lookout for that. It'll be on all our social media and website, and I'm sure there'll be a pre-sale discount going on. This year, we have a hand muff that's got a ton of Primaloft insulation, 100% windproof with our new fabric design on it. So that hand muff's coming out. We got a smaller run-and-gun backpack. It is 1650, 1,650 cubic inches. Our full-size backpack is 2,600 cubic inches, so it is definitely smaller. We've got some new compression strap buckles on there, some extra compression straps, but the overall pack design is basically the same. It doesn't have a waist belt. We, we removed that to make it even lighter, but I've hooked sticks, platforms, stands, bows, hooked everything to that small pack, and, man, it, it works great. So guys that are looking for a smaller pack, that's going to be a good one. We've got base layers coming. We've got a lightweight base layer and a heavyweight base layer, and this has been three years in the making. We settled on a, a, a blend of synthetic and merino, so we get best of both worlds. We got the the quick drying of the synthetic, but then we've got the moisture wicking and the warmth of merino. So I think it's a great combination. And again, we've been trying to get the perfect blend for the last three years, and it's going to be incredible. So that we got lightweight coming and heavyweight. The heavyweight actually has a half zip, so you can zip it down when you're walking, let some heat out. Late season vest. We've got one of those coming with 180 grams of Primaloft, 100% windproof, waterproof membrane, new fabric designs on the vest, and then we've got our non-metallic belt coming, and then we've got new collar designs on our jacket and vest. We've got, it's a patent-pending scalloped design so that you won't have any string interference or any anchor point issues. You know, it looks like all the Premium lines of clothing have the exact same collar design, and it works fine, but, man, there's a chance that it can interfere if you don't have it zipped all the way up, or even when you do have it zipped all the way up, it can get in the way of your anchor point, and if you have it unzipped a little bit, you can have some string interference. So we've taken all that out. I know it's a small step, but it is something that can cause you issues, and with just tweaking this collar design a little bit, you'll never have that problem. So... That's everything new that's coming out with ICO. Next on the list, uh, let's see. Do you hunt out of a saddle? Do you like saddle hunting? Good question. So, yes, I have shot, I think, four bucks and an axis deer out of a saddle. I tend to use saddles in Texas because they have really crazy trees there. I personally prefer to hunt out of a lock-on type stand, and I'll run a really small lock-on, but I really like having two feet firmly planted on the ground, and it could be I'm old school, but I feel like I'm more accurate shooting my bow, and if I can get a lock-on into the tree I want to get in, even if I'm hunting mobile, I'm going to go with a lock-on, but I think you definitely need a saddle in your arsenal because it's going to give you the ability to get in trees that you can't get in with a lock on and for for guys that want to be super light and super mobile I think it 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 probably has a little bit of an advantage there but I, I still like being able to face away from the tree and I like being able to have two feet firmly on the ground because I stand up most of the time I feel like I'm more accurate so that's where I am on saddle hunting it is a tool. I do have one, and I do hunt out of them. Uh, let's see. What is your bow setup for this year? I think we've talked about this a few times, but I just got the new Osseo dipped bow set up. And it is a Matthews V3X 29-inch axle-to-axle set on 74 pounds with a 29-inch draw. I actually think it's 74.6 pounds with a 29-inch draw. I have the Epsilon Hamsky Rest, 
black gold sight. I am going to be looking into that dual tracks. I ordered one, but our archery shop didn't have one. So we've ordered one. Should be here this week or next week. Let's see. So the dual tracks from black gold will be the sight. Quiver is that same old G5 headlock quiver. I love that thing. Stabilizer. I've got a six-inch stabilizer on the front, eight-inch back bar. Both of those are the Flatline Matthews, and, God, that stuff is expensive. Man, um, they are proud of those stabilizers, but they work good. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's see. I run the back bar off the front, so I don't have it as far. I use a knuckle. I think it's a bee stinger knuckle off the front where the stable, front stabilizer screws in, and the back bar has a quick detach that goes in right into that bee stinger knuckle because I don't like the back bar sticking way off the back of the bow. Peep sight, uh, 316th peep. I do run a kisser button, run a D-loop. I run the small kisser button. I like to have three points of contact. My nose, the kisser button, my nose being on the tip of the string, and then my peep sight. And I've just shot like that a long time. I hear good things about the nose button. Might give that a try, but I hadn't, hadn't done that yet. I do shoot factory strings, the zebra strings that are on the bow. Uh, that'll be the bow setup. I guess I can get into arrows real quick. Rage tripan. I shoot the Victory Rip TKOs, 204 diameter. Nocturnals was my knock. Four heat vanes. Let's see. Total arrow weight. 475 grains, I think really 474, but we'll call it 475. I build my own arrows. Let's see, anything I'm leaving out on the bow or arrow setup. Oh, the inserts are 60 grain, I think they're called shock, the stainless steel shock inserts. I've been real happy with those. They're made by Victory. And arrow, arrow. Nocturnals. I like the green over any of the other colors. I feel like the green shows up better, especially in daylight. And I've had no issues with nocturnals whatsoever. So that's the whole bow arrow setup. Uh, next on the list. Any advice for guys? Let's see. Sorry. Any advice for guys wanting to get on pro staffs or make a living in the hunting industry? Boy, another good question. So we probably get emailed three times a week by guys wanting to be on a pro staff or be sponsored. And if that is the route, I guess we could look at it two different ways. If that's the route you want to go, if you're, you're trying to get sponsored and have a YouTube channel and a TikTok and a Facebook page and do reels and all that sort of stuff, which is the trend that I'm seeing is more YouTube uh, than TV. And if I was going to do it, that, that is exactly what I would do. But I would take a completely different approach. I would never contact a company and ask them to sponsor me. I would find the gear that I want to use. Let's just say Matthew's bows, the prime bows, whatever it is, the, the stuff that you really, truly believe in. And I would save up my money, and I would buy that equipment. If it's Rage Broadheads or Iron Wheel or Prime or Matthew's, whatever the product is, if it's Beast Stands or Lone Wolf's, whatever it is that you want to use and you believe in, buy that company's products, and then start creating content with it. We as companies like ASIO, <clears throat> we can't get enough real good content. And I promise you, if you came to us with some great content using our gear, that's going to get the attention of our marketing staff, and they're going to want to work with you and compensation will come with that. It'll probably start off with some free gear. Uh, then it would probably go into financial because you are creating content and that's stuff that we need. A prime example of that is Lucas. 
the guy that is sitting right off camera here, editing something and distracting the heck out of me right now because he's typing away like a madman. He's probably emailing his girlfriend or something. There's no telling. I've turned him red and embarrassed him now. But um, Lucas, young guy, 19 years old. We're at the Harrisburg show. He comes up to our booth and says, with all of his camera equipment, comes right up to me, 19 years old, and says, Mr. Miles, um, Lucas, I've got a uh, Facebook page called Hunting on the Edge. Could we do a special on Osseo gear? I'd like to interview you and then do a bunch of features of your products and blast them out to all of my followers on my Facebook page. And first of all, I thought that was, you know, pretty impressive, a young guy like that coming up and no fear coming right into our booth. And absolutely, I said, yeah, let's do it. So we set up a time. He came back. We got everything filmed. And he went, he, he went over and beyond, I mean, to, to, you know, opening zippers and vents and getting, you know, all kind of focal fades of the gear and guys, you know, walking around the booth talking about it. I mean, just went over and beyond what we, what I would have anticipated. And I saw Lucas the next day about 10 o'clock in the morning, and he, he looked like, I won't say what he looked like, but he, uh, he was rough. Stop laughing, Lucas. He was rough. And uh, I said, hey, buddy, what, what, what's wrong? And he said, well, I was up to about 2.30, 3 o'clock editing all that footage, and I did that for about two other companies, two or three other companies, and I'm going to be posting these things during the show. So just, you know, was up late last night. So I'm like, okay, 19-year-old kid, hungry, super work ethic, and I just kind of filed that away. And, and when we got – I obviously, I gave him some free gear and uh, gave him an early season set hat uh, to, to, to repay him for doing that and told him that we would, you know, we would grow in this relationship. And, and that was where we were. And it came time that we needed a new uh, head of content and, and a, a marketing guy that could come in and film stuff and edit stuff for us. And Lucas was the first guy that I reached out to to, to fill that position, and we were very fortunate to have him. So I've been a little long-winded here on this, this answer, but companies like Matthews and G5, and they get hit up every single week with, hey, I've got a YouTube channel, can you sponsor me? Hey, I've got an Instagram with 10,000 followers, can you sponsor me? And most of the time, that goes in one ear and out of the other, and the way to do it is start creating content for the companies you want to work with, and I promise you that will open a lot of doors. So that would be that side of the equation if you're, if you're interested in trying to get brands to represent where you are, quote-unquote, sponsored, and, and they're paying you to build content for them. The other side of the coin getting into the hunting industry is the product side. And obviously, you can go work for a product company. You can put in resumes for Matthews or G5. I keep using these just because they're coming to the top of my mind. Rage, whatever it may be. You can put in resumes and go and work for those companies uh, or, or start your own. And, and that's tough. That, that is a, a hard thing to do to start a company. But if you have a good idea, it's really going to solve a problem, it's really going to bring value, then start it, man. Dive in, full steam ahead, and it's going to be a rocky, rocky, it's going to be a rocky, slippery road where one day you're like, man, this thing's about to blow up. The next day you're like, what am I doing? And that's the way it goes. There's going to be haters, there's going to be trolls, you're just going to have to deal with all that. You're going to have to develop thick skin. Uh, but if you have a product you believe in and you have something that is truly going to make something better or going to provide new technology, new value to whatever hunting segment you're going after, then I say, by all means, fire away. couple of things. Try to get to 1,000 customers as fast as you can. 1,000 customers saying good things about your product will really help spread the word and blow it up. 
and whatever you're going to sit down with pen and paper and figure up a budget and you're going to say, okay, it's going to cost me this much to develop it this much to get inventory. And then you're going to say, and it's going to cost me this much to market. Whatever that figure is that you come up with, double or triple it because you do not want to run out of cash. That is how the company is going to run out of steam. So whatever it takes, you got to sell a kidney, you got to send Lucas out to uh, work on the streets, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, just because he's sitting here. But uh, whatever, uh, whatever you got to do, man, if, if you believe in it, get going. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a great journey. And, and just don't quit. And you can make it happen. It, it, new companies pop in every day and start, start doing amazing stuff. All right, I think that answered that one. If you could hunt one state, which would it be and why? One state, which would it be and why? I love Texas. I love the free-range chocolate horn bucks in Texas. I love everything Texas has to offer, the exotics. Uh, they've got good wing shooting. They've got giant whitetail. You know, you can get into that golden triangle and get into some big, you know, 180, 190 free-range bucks. I love Texas, but if if you had to say one state rest of your life, I, I would have to say home here in South Carolina. I know we don't have very big deer. I just hung a couple of a new of the velvet bucks I shot last year, and the biggest one's like 120 inches, 125 inches, but – I love hunting at home. I love the swamp bucks. I love hunting the Congaree River. I grew up here, and I would have to say one state would be South Carolina. And why is, I guess, because I grew up here, the bucks here are really challenging. We, we get, you know, we get five buck tags, so a lot of opportunity. We like to eat a lot of venison, so I, I like to keep the freezer super full. Uh, so, yeah, South Carolina or Texas, I mean, I love the Midwest. I love Kansas. I like Illinois. I love Ohio. I love Kentucky. But I think Texas, because of all the other stuff you can hunt there, and then South Carolina w- would kind of edge out Texas because it's home, and hunting this congaree is where I grew up and something I want to do, you know, forever and, and do with my son. And, yeah, so South Carolina would be the winner. All right. How often do you shoot your bow, and do you have any practice routines? Okay. I don't think you can ever shoot your bow enough, and I, I don't shoot mine enough. I shoot a lot, and I'm fortunate that I have a little range right there at my office, so I'm able to get out the, the back door in the mornings before a workout or middle of the day. So I can't. I do have the opportunity to shoot, but we get so busy that you just have to carve out time. Uh, Off-season, I probably shoot once to twice a week. Sometimes I'll go two weeks without shooting at all. Uh, When we start getting into this time of year, it's every day. And I know I've said this a bunch of times, but try and get elevated, whether that means hanging a stand in your backyard whether that means opening a second-story window of a house, getting on the roof of your house, be safe, obviously, if you do that. But get elevated, get deer-type targets. You know, shooting in the backyard and flip-flops at a block target is certainly better than nothing and will work just fine. But the more realistic you can do it, the better. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of work. If you can go to the woods and hang a stand and put some 3D targets in the woods, you know, once a week, it's going to go, God, man, it just – where you get up and you actually range the target, and it's weird ranges like 32 yards or 17 yards. Um, that That is so valuable. So if you have the opportunity to do that, I highly recommend it. If you live around these areas that have these tack events, man, go do them. I haven't had an opportunity myself to do that, but shooting under pressure where you've got people around watching you is super, super valuable. Um 
tricks that I do or what was the what was it um, routines maybe how often shoot your bow oh, practice routines so a couple things uh, if if I'm working on pinpoint accuracy I like to take like a golf tee and put in those black tar- block targets or into a 3D target and shoot for that golf tee and I'll do a lot of close range dot drills so so you're really focusing on your shot execution, meaning I'll have the target set up at five yards, and I'll have four golf tees in the four different areas of the target, and I'll draw back, aim at a golf tee, and then you you don't have to keep aiming and just work completely on shot execution. And then you can kind of stretch that out 10, 15 yards. Uh, One really neat drill that, that I developed I don't know if anybody else does this. I've never seen it before, but you do it with a buddy. First of all, that's going to put pressure on you because you got another guy there with you. <clears throat> but you get elevated, um, or, or you can even be in the backyard, and you have a target at, say, I like to do the odd ranges because that's more realistic than everything being at 10, 15, 20, 25 yards. So I'll do like 7 yards, 17 yards, 24 yards, Try to get four different targets out to your your furthest effective shooting range. And I will draw my bow, and I will just hold it. And I will hold it and hold it and hold it. And then the guy will say, 34 yards, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And I have five seconds to get that shot off. So what that does, you're having to hold the bow back. You don't know when the deer is going to hit that angle where you can shoot him. And then you've got four possibilities of different ranges that you may shoot, so you don't know what range you're going to be shooting. And then once you're told the range, it's just like that deer walking into that shooting lane, and you got to shoot him fast. So you have five seconds. And that is a really good drill to do, especially now we're getting into the summer and, and start getting into August when seasons are going to start opening up. So if you can do that with a buddy, that's a that's a really good drill. Um, I said something earlier, effective range. <clears throat> I feel like your effective range is out to where you can put six inches in an six inches, six arrows inside of an index card. When you can shoot a, a six arrow group inside of an index yard you would be effective at killing an animal at that distance consistently. However, there's lots of guys that can do that at 100 yards. There's lots of guys that can do that at 120 yards. Would I shoot at a whitetail that far? No. I wouldn't really shoot at any animal um, that far. I've I've never shot at an animal 100 yards. I know there's guys that have done it, but that's not me. I just feel like there's too much, especially if it's windy or the animal walking, uh, for me, I I don't want to pigeon my, pigeonhole myself with, with yardages here, but I, I want to be inside 50, really inside 40 on a whitetail. Uh, I can definitely, you know, shoot an index card group at, at over 40 yards. But for me on whitetail, I like to be 40 and in and preferably 30 and in. But effective range, that's how I calculate it. Six arrows, index card, and, and you, you should be consistently able to kill an animal at that distance. All right. How often? How many feet per second do you like to shoot and what weight arrow? Okay, I answered the weight of the arrow earlier. Basically, 475 total grains. That's a total arrow weight. And let's see. Feet per second. I shoot. 305 feet per second. I like to be around 300 feet per second with a mechanical broadhead. I I know factually that speed helps with penetration. I'm not going to dive into that debate right now. It'd be too long. Uh, The reason 474 or 75 grains, that to me is a sweet spot with penetration on whitetail. I get plenty of penetration with that arrow weight and shooting 300, 305 feet per second, 29-inch draw, 74.6-pound draw weight, 
for me, has been a deadly combination. Very flat shooting. I'm able to shoot one pin from zero to 30 yards. And I've killed a bunch of stuff with that setup in the last five or six years. So that's the setup I like with mechanical broadheads. Fixed blade heads, I'm going to slow that down a little bit. I'm going to get down to that 280, 285 range because when you get up to 300 and you get a little bit of wind, those fixed blade heads start to want to <clears throat> plane off on you. And, and you're in my testing, this isn't something I've watched on YouTube, on my testing, when you get over about 285 with fixed blade heads, they start to do some sporadic stuff. <clears throat> and I, I do think that's, that's a good speed. You may want to dump a 20-yard pin in, so you've got a 20 and a 30-yard pin. And I haven't shot a fixed blade head in a in a long time, in probably four years since I've shot anything with a fixed blade head. So for me, 474, 475 total arrow weight, mechanical head, 74 pounds, 300 feet per second, one pin, zero to 30, super flat shooting if I've got to shoot through a hole in the timber, and I get lots of penetration uh, out of that setup. So I did mention earlier that I didn't get a whole lot of penetration on the Axis deer. Uh, and I think, again, that might have something to do with that Rage Broadhead. But we're going to find out. We'll report back after this Africa trip. All right. Who did you look up to and learn from in the hunting industry? Good question. Well, all – Always my dad. I've mentioned this on several podcasts. I don't know that I've ever talked about it on this podcast. But my dad was an absolute savage. He still hunts to this day. He's closing in on 80 and still hunts. And at one time, he had shot 50 bucks in a row without a miss. Uh, He had the 11th largest buck ever taken in the state of South Carolina taught me from a super young age, real incredible work ethic, hunted extremely hard, and was a passion of his and and taught us early the ways to do things. So my dad was instrumental in my growing up and my love of hunting. Uh, If I had to look outside from from my father, um, Miles Keller, I read a lot of his stuff growing up. Um, obviously, Don Higgins was somebody that, that I really looked up to and still look up to. I, Don has become a really good friend of mine and and uh, just still some his ways of thinking and setting up kill spots is next level. Uh, Bobby Worthington, who we've had on the podcast a couple times, you know, he, he's a guy that's just valuable, one of the nicest human beings, best men that I've met in the hunting industry. Uh, you know, I grew up with the Primos videos, Will Primos and all his guys. I loved watching those. Truth from the stand, this ain't Hollywood, this is the truth. I really liked uh, th- those. W- they were VHSs and then DVDs. I'm dating myself, but that's all right. Uh, who else? Uh, the, the Michael Waddells, the Bill Jordans, pioneers in the camo industry. Love those guys. Uh, but, yeah, my dad would be the number one, followed, you know, right right behind with Don and, and Bobby Worthington and Miles Keller. You know, those would be the guys that, that I really looked up to and learned from. All righty. Moving right along. Do you think lifting weights and being fit – help you with deer hunting, what program do you use? The short answer is yes, absolutely. <clears throat> but I think that goes with about everything that you do. If you're a golfer, if you, I, I don't know, whatever it is, if you're physically fit, it's going to help you accomplish that task without straining your body. And no, you can. You don't have to be fit to kill deer. There's 400 pounders that eat donuts and sit in box blinds and kill deer every year, and it absolutely can do that. Where fitness helps is when you go on a two-week mobile rut hunt out of state and you are in and out all day long, and it keeps you from 
cutting corners, when you've got to climb up over one limb instead of just saying, oh, that's good enough. When you're physically fit, you're able to do that. And it creates discipline because physical fitness is not overnight success. If, if you're out of shape and you go run a mile and do 20 push-ups and 20 sit-ups, you're not going to see any results for a while. It's delayed gratification. And with that comes discipline. It takes a lot of discipline to get physically fit. I'm still working on it every day. Uh, the, the, the working out part, I do a pretty good job with. My diet is pretty terrible. Uh, I've had a buddy, Eli Grambling, with E3 Nutrition. He's helped me. But it's because my discipline there, that and the fact that Natalie, my wife, cooks too dadgum good and has always got sweets in the house, so I'll blame her. Um, th- that's my issue is my diet. I don't have the discipline in my diet like I do with the working out. So, yes, fitness will help you with your hunting. I- any level, you know, if, if, if you're doing 50 push-ups a day and, and rucking or walking, you know, a couple miles, anything you can do to get off the couch and, and start getting physically fit, I recommend it. It creates discipline. It creates good habits. You, you win when you work out in the mornings. You know, you, you get that little win. It starts your day right. Uh, the, the program I use is it's uh, GBRS, Global, F- Global Battlefield Research Solutions. They're my SEAL Team 6 buddies out of Virginia Beach, DJ Shipley and Cole Fackler. And Vernon Griffith is the coach that coaches them and runs this program, and he is next-level genius when it comes to physical fitness. And I've been so fortunate to have a couple sessions with him, and, and he did some personal stuff training for me when I had a, a hunt in Kyrgyzstan and just blew that thing out of the water. And it's if you go to GBRS Fitness, GBRS Train Heroic, they've got a seven-day free trial that you can sign up for and see how you like it yourself. Uh, but it's it's all app-based, and their videos. It shows you every single exercise, big on mobility, big on getting your hips realigned. You know, guys that sit in their, at the desk all day long um, get some mobility issues, big on not getting injured, all those things, you know, at 48 years old that, that, that I'm interested in. And, you know, it's it, – I've seen lots of improvement with the way I look, with my strength. So GBRS, fitness, train heroic, take a look at them. That's, that's the program that I use. Uh, next, what is your favorite venison recipe? <laughs> that's interesting. So I got a lot of them, but probably my favorite is you take a backstrap, and you spiral cut it. And if you don't know how to spiral cut, just Google spiral cutting a loin or, or a beef tenderloin. And basically what it does is it just lays it all the way out like a sheet of paper. <clears throat> and so I'll, I'll spiral cut it. And <clears throat> then I will caramelize some onions and mushrooms. I'll get some spicy venison sausage. I'll get some jalapenos, either tame or if you like them spicy, you can get regular jalapenos and cream cheese, and I'll do that as like filling. And then I will roll the loin up and tie it with butcher tape. And then I'll take thick cut, uh, I think it's cracked black pepper bacon or just any maple bacon, any kind of bacon that you have, and wrap that loin in bacon and then put uh, toothpicks. And I'll do it on the grill. And I'm not, I don't smoke it. I'll actually grill it. It takes about 25 minutes to get it medium rare. And let me tell you what, that is one of the best venison recipes that I have ever had. And we probably do that thing once, at least once a month. I, I try to do it every other week. I, I've got this axis deer coming, so we'll do his loins. We're able to cut his loins. I'll get four out of him or out of his back straps. Uh, that, that is an excellent recipe. You can even soak the loin if you want to in pineapple juice for if you have wives or children that maybe don't like that venison flavor. If, if you soak the, the back strap or loin in, you need to use a back strap because it's bigger for the spiral cutting. 
Soak it in pineapple juice for no more than 40 minutes. That'll get all of that wild game venison taste out of it, and it is out of this world good. So, guys, if you want more information on that recipe, just shoot me a message, and I'll, I'll lay out all the ingredients. Oh, and, and the fire. I normally get the fire on about 350 and cook it for, you know, keep rolling it, flipping it over, whatever, for about 20, 25 minutes to get it medium rare at 350 degrees. But that, that recipe is out of this world, and I'm thinking maybe we need to cook it tonight. Lucas, what do you think? Cook it tonight? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Do you prefer mobile hunting or preset stands? Yep. So from a personal standpoint, I like to have a stand preset. Less noise less sweat, less time getting in the tree, just less interference with everything that you've got going on. So I prefer a preset stand, and most of my rut stands, especially this year, are preset, quite a few of them already hung because it's in a super tight funnel, and it has historic buck sign in it, and I know there are bucks in these areas that are still alive, and at some point they're going to come through that funnel. So preset stands, but there are advantages to mobile hunting. You're able to scout, find fresh sign, and set up on it immediately. If these rut funnels are not working and go dead, I won't just sit there and wither away, which is different than how some guys do it. Some guys will sit there the entire rut, I'll sit there, and I normally have a text camera or two in there, so I'm able to monitor nighttime movement too. And if I'm not seeing a good deer come through there every now and again during the rut, even in the middle of the night, I'll abandon it and get mobile and look for edges, look for maybe not as tight of funnels, look for fresh sign, go to some of these thick, thick bedding areas. Uh, So mobile hunting – Obviously, you're able to do that. You've got a real compact system. You can be quiet, but still, it's not as not as bulletproof as a preset stand. So from my personal standpoint, I like a preset stand versus a mobile stand, but I will absolutely use mobile. And I think mobile early season and late season is the way to go because you're normally doing – glassing that those times of year or running on trail cam data and you may have 15 trail cameras out and you don't know exactly where you're going to hunt and you may early season you're doing long range scouting and you find out where they're coming out and then you devise your plan but even then I tend to be kind of semi-mobile where I'll go like if, if I see them come out somewhere in an afternoon I'll wait until 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> go in, hang the stand, and then hunt it that afternoon. But that way, I'm, it's hot that time of year. I'm able to get out of there, go shower, and then get back in there and hunt it that afternoon. Um, and then, you know, if they do come out two or 300 yards away and I'm able to slip out of there, then I'll come back and adjust that the next day. So that that's more of a semi-mobile hunting. Um, I still hunt the same day that I hang. Uh, pre-rut, I'm really getting into those funnels. And, you know, it may be that I know where a, a buck is bedded pre-rut. And so I, I, that's an opportunity that I may slip in and hang right then and hunt. So I'm not fixed on either one, but I prefer preset or that semi-mobile over just blasting all through the woods, finding fresh sign and hanging. That's just not my style. I will do it if nothing else is working, but I prefer to be a little more ambushy and a little more reserved and a little less human intrusion um, because I've got some sensitive properties and some smaller properties. And if you're hunting giant public without any funnels, man, blow it up, get after it, be mobile, go for it. Hard to do preset there, uh, so I completely understand that. All right. Uh, what made you want to start ICO with all the camo companies already out there? Whew. 
So I saw a gap between the really high-end premium apparel that was on the market. Not going to name drop, but everybody knows who I'm talking about. Uh, There's three or four lines out there that are super high-end, really expensive, really good quality stuff. They were all founded in the West for mountain hunting, and they do a great job at that. And I use them a lot mountain hunting, and I tried to start using them in my whitetail because of the quality. But they tended to be noisy, and the camo pattern was just not what we needed as tree stand bow hunters. The, the camo, oh, wait, I just, so that was the gap that I saw. I, and I wasn't going to fill that gap. I hadn't even really, it was in the back of my mind getting into the apparel business, but it wasn't front and center. And then when everybody's heard the story, I'm sure if you listen to this podcast, you've heard the story about the great horn owls and that camouflage and doing all the research on that. And when, when that happened, I said, I, I have to do it because it's going to provide value for, for people and it's really going to solve a problem. It's going to put good camo that makes sense hunting out of trees in the whitetails range on good quality stuff. So that's the gap we filled. And it's not for everybody. It's a niche product. It is for the hardcore, that, that word gets thrown around too much, but, but for the guy that's aggressive, that needs quality stuff, that's going to be sitting all day, that's it's got to pack in, uh, that's, what, that's who we made this for. And the camo pattern is, is good for anybody that's whitetail hunting. So that's why I, I created Osseo and wh- why we got in. And um, happy happy with how the market has received it and, and going to continue growing it and continue doing exactly what we're doing and have loved it. It's It's been a ton of work. You know, it's a 4.30 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, seven days a week business. It doesn't matter if we're on a hunt or we're on vacation. I just got back from a little vacation, and I was working the whole time I was down there. Uh, like I said earlier, going to Africa, but I'll have my computer my cell phone will have Wi-Fi at night. The time zones are different, so I'll be working a lot at night. Um, so it's a lot of work, but I love it, and we, we, we're excited about the direction that it's headed. Okay. How many trail cameras do you use, and what kinds do you think they can scare deer? <clears throat> I'm not sure the total number. I know it's over 20 probably over 20, less than 50, so somewhere in that range. I would say 95% of them are text cameras. I'm running them in Ohio, running them in Kentucky, running them in Kansas. Uh, What other states? That's really it. I don't really run them in Canada. Don't run them in Illinois because I'm not hunting there, and I run a bunch at home in the swamp. It's hard to find good deer in the swamp, so I, I run a lot of cameras in the swamp. Um, the brands that I use, uh, I had been 100% Spartan. I love the Spartan cameras. They're pricey, but they work really well. Uh, and then I started trying out some of these Exodus cameras, and I just ran a test that we, we put a little Mission Whitetail season update that we just did. I think it's on YouTube. Lucas, it's on YouTube, right? Yeah, it's on YouTube. So... <clears throat> They work really good. They're AT&T, and my swamp doesn't have good AT&T service, so I'm really anxious to get them into an AT&T area. But good trigger speed, distance, quality of the images were good. We had thousands of pictures of hogs day and night. So I'll be running some Exodus this year along with the Spartans. I've only got one of the Tacticams. Haven't had any issues with it. The picture quality, I don't really like their app. Don't really like the the picture quality that I get compared to these two cameras. Uh, but I know a lot of guys, and the price point on those tactic cams are good. The price point on these uh, Exodus are good. I think there's the, the rival is around $160. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's really close, maybe $168. So I'll be, I'll be running some of those, especially in the AT&T areas, and I think they are coming out soon, hopefully before hunting season with some of the Verizon versions. Now, let's talk about text cams. You are going to miss some pictures. 
I guarantee you if you pull your SD card and go back through your app and put your SD card in and go through every single picture, you're going to have like 100 pictures on your app. You're going to have 110 pictures on your SD card. Just didn't get transmitted. Not only that, those cameras are going to miss pictures. If you want a bulletproof camera that's not going to miss a single picture, those Reconyx standard SD card cameras are the best that we've seen. Uh, so if you're in an area where you don't have any cell phone service, then obviously that's gonna, where you're going to have to use it. Or if you need to get every single picture, they're, they're, you're obsessed with that and you need to get every picture, then yeah, go, go with that Reconyx SD card camera, non-cellular. To me, the cellular cameras outweigh that. Uh, I'm getting multiple pictures normally of the deer that I'm after. I, can't, I won't say that I can afford to lose a few pictures, but I guess I am because just the last four or five years using them, the live intel that it gives me is priceless, and the fact that I don't have to go in there and pull that SD card. I'm getting – I mean, I, I killed a buck in South Carolina last year based on an early morning picture I got. I killed him that afternoon. The buck I shot in Kansas, I got a daylight picture of that buck here in South Carolina and a cold front was coming. He showed that he was already moving through a funnel in daylight, flew back out there based on that camera and killed him. Uh, guys, you know, we're not going to get into an ethics debate right now, but a lot of guys will say, you know, that's cheating's the wrong word, but wh where does it end? You know, text cameras, you know, AI. So I'm going to use them until they're illegal. Um, and, and I will, I'll keep using them because they are legal and I like shooting deer and they give me an advantage in shooting deer. So I'm going to use them. Do I think they scare deer? I think, and I've seen it with mature bucks and I've seen it with two-year-olds. For me, they see the actual camera and that freaks them out. The camera looks weird to them. They don't like it. They turn around and they bolt. Uh, I have seen some cameras that click and make noise, and I know the deer have heard them. I know that some of that glow stuff, that, that when it, the glow would turn on, they would see that. I don't think with these blackout cameras they see or hear anything. <clears throat> I think that it is the sight of the physical camera. A lot of guys say these cell cameras are putting off weird radio waves and they're sensing that or whatever it may be and it's freaking them out, and there's guys that swear by that. It's just not uniform for, for me to believe that. If, if it was happening over and over and over again and, and to all the does and to all the deer, you know, they'd come in, the, the, they'd get a picture, and then they'd be gone. But, man, I've had cell cameras over feeding areas or feeders and, and mature bucks sit in there and feed – all day, all night long, and never bolt. Uh, I've had a cell camera on a trail, and a deer see it and freak out. I've seen it, you know, the alarm look on video mode or st even still mode on regular non-cellular cameras, and deer freak out. Uh, I've never had a deer come by me with my cell phone and had the wind right, and that thing I know is putting off radio waves because it's connected to a tower 24-7. So if, if that was the case, you would think a deer would come by and sense that and haul, you know, haul butt. But I've, I've never had that happen with my cell camera, and I've had deer in ground blinds as close as, you know, four or five steps away in brush blinds. So I don't believe in the whole cellular waves scaring off the deer. I think they see the camera, and when they, when they don't like the way it sees, whether it's a two-year-old or a five-year-old, it freaks them out some. So that's my, that's my spiel on the cell cams, and I like cell cams over the regular SD cards. All right, we're closing on an hour, boys. Let's do one more. All right, so I'll finish on this one. We had a few more. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them. We'll get some of the others next time. What do you think about baiting and high fence hunting? Man, that is a very good question. 
And that is an ethics question. And I said earlier I wasn't going to get into ethics, but I'm going to have to to answer this question. To me, everybody fits between two ends of the spectrum. Between going naked with your teeth and claws on public ground that you walk to, so that would be one end of the spectrum, to the other end of the spectrum, which is a completely bare, one-acre high fence with a 300 wind mag out of a tower stand where the deer has no chance. That's legal to do. Guys do that. I've never seen anybody do the naked thing. So your ethics are going to fall somewhere between those two. The longbow hunters look down on the recurve hunters. The recurve hunters look down on the compound. The compound look down on the crossbow, crossbow muzzleloader, muzzleloader rifle. You use trail cameras. You don't use trail cameras. You use feed where you can supplemental feed. It's all an ethics issue. It's what makes you happy and you proud with the animal you put on the wall. If you are happy shooting that deer with a 300 wind mag in a one-acre high fence where the buck got turned out and you want to put him over your mantle, over your fireplace, and you're deep down happy with that style of hunting, then so be it. Uh, If you are putting that deer up there and saying you hunted it for four weeks in Canada and had to track it down and you're lying about it, that's not being ethical. Own what you do. Do I personally hunt over bait? In bait states, I run feed. Yes, I do. I do run feed. Do I kill deer over feed? That normally does not happen. I have done it before, especially here in South Carolina. But it normally does not happen like that because the animal age class that I'm after will not come to that feed in daylight. If he's dumb enough to do that, then I probably would shoot him over some feed. But I don't want to get a whole bunch of shooting over bait stuff uh, coming in here. So I'm opening a, a can of worms. But the, the problem with hunting over bait is normally your younger deer are going to show up first and mill around, and they're eventually going to pick you off where you're hunting. And that bigger deer, again, is not going to get to bait before it gets dark. So the chances of me actually hunting over bait are pretty darn slim. The reason that I will supplemental feed or quote-unquote bait in in states where it's legal is because every neighbor is doing it, and you've got to be competitive, and it's going to hold your does in there so when that rut gets going – that buck's going to be cruising through there. So it holds the does in there. Buck's going to be looking for those does. And I need to be competitive with neighbors. So, guys, y'all can hate on that, and and I know some people will, but that's just simply the facts of of how I do things. Do I hunt high-fence deer? No. For me personally, I'm not interested in shooting one in a pen uh, there is a ranch I really want to hunt. It's called the Las Cuevas or Cuevas in Mexico. It's 14,000 acres, all native deer. Uh, they've done a heck of a job raising deer um, or a management program, if you will. None of them are artificial or, or captive bred. It's all wild native deer. And I would probably hunt that ranch being a 14,000-acre high fence. They've got giants in there. They do some bow hunting. Um, but, but as far as a 10 or 15-acre pen with an ear tag deer, for me personally, I'm not interested in doing that. I like shooting the wild ones or at least the, the native deer that, that grow up and have a chance to get away because I love the challenge of hunting them. So that's where I am on bait, and that's where I am on uh, high fence hunting. Guys, that was a fun question and answer period. If you've got some other questions or want follow-ups to some of these questions, let me know. Uh, Just shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook. 
and happy to answer them. We'll get a guest on next week. Don't know who that's going to be yet. Probably have Adam come back and co-host with me. He's going to be doing some of that. So uh, we'll get get a good guest on next week. And keep the questions coming, boys. Enjoyed it. Stay safe out there. Shoot the bows. Get elevated when you can. Season in South Carolina will be in in a couple weeks, and I am headed to Africa. So pumped up about that, and we'll give a full report and put some Instagram pictures up, Facebook pictures up while we're over there. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.